Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome back to Kingdom Cast's podcast. Please apply pressure where needed. Joining us once again is Sandra Elron Hubbard. Had some good ideas, Swindle. That's BS. <laughs> and Daniel. And with me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. I know we went a little overdue on this podcast. Uh, time-wise, but we had some library stuff to edit and turn into them for their online convention. And, but the He-Man fallout is continuing. <laughs> we got a couple of emails about it going both ways. One person sent in an email saying, in regards to your Masters of the Universe review, I thought the story was okay. I don't like Kevin Smith personally. And if he had told his fans to F off before I had seen Masters of the Universe on Netflix, I wouldn't have watched it. Quinn goes on to say that they did think Tila was selfish by throwing the tantrum at the same moment the king and queen had learned their son had died. But other than that, they didn't exactly hate Masters of the Universe, but not a big fan of Kevin Smith. And that's what seems to be coming across here. For the most part, a lot of people just out and out hate it. If I've seen it once or heard it once, I've seen it and heard it a hundred times from not just online reviews, but emails we've gotten. And they are absolutely convinced either Tila or Tila's friend is going to become an like I said, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. She-Man. <clears throat> well, I don't know. There's no way that's I just happening. thought the show sucked. I, didn't, I don't give crap what happens afterwards now. Kevin had told all the fans to F off, and then that got covered up real quick. Netflix entered into something that looks a lot like damage control, except their damage control just something came up about the body design on the female and male characters. They said, oh, no, we based this on the filmation. It's a spiritual successor to the filmation He-Man and the Masters of the Universe series. We based the body design of the women off Gal Gadot and what's the um the windbender avatar. avatar yeah avatar and on the avatar designs and then people were calling up the avatar designs in Gal Gadot and that's clearly not the case I automatically accepted the filmation thing I thought well that's true he was buffing you know he man was overly buffing filmation but filmation did something called rotoscoping do you know what rotoscoping is yeah. Explain it to the audience that's playing at home. You just trace live action. Yeah, it turns yeah, but, out. But even even their rotoscoping was, they still just copied other movies rotoscoping. They, they may have on certain segments, but they actually hired actors and had them dressed up. And there are pictures all over the internet that I have never in my life seen before of the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe actors that Filmation hired to perform the rotoscoping live action segments. The guy that plays he 
He-Man, that's his build, as opposed to the He-Man design that they have in the current Masters of the Universe, which is not feasible for somebody to be built like that and have the range of movement that he does, which I wasn't really complaining. It's a cartoon. Who cares? Well, apparently a lot of people care, and we discussed a lot of this on the last podcast. You cared somewhat. Yeah, not like that. It seems to be getting deeper and deeper. Sandra, I'm sure you've watched it by now, right? No. (laughs) Why not? I just am not interested in in He-Man. I wasn't necessarily interested either, Sandra. Yes, Dan, but I have a line I have to draw on (laughs) what I can spend my time on for this podcast. And she's probably watching some gay Sherlock. Far, far, far off of it. (laughs) Well, the final thoughts on this, Quinn. My final thoughts, I, I agree with Quinn. I enjoyed it, but Kevin Smith in his subsequent screaming and childlike crying has taken any of my enjoyment away from me on it. They just need to shut Kevin Smith up. Nobody would have noticed anything had Kevin Smith never said anything beforehand or after the fact. We'll talk more about it when part two comes out, which I'm sure... After they rework everything that's wrong with it. Yeah, which I'm sure Albert is anxiously waiting for. Mm -hmm. Um, Part two is actually already done. So they say. Part two was supposedly finished shortly after part one was. Sure it was. So you think they're. That's that's why we got to wait six months months for it, because it's already done. You see, I looked it up. They haven't assigned it a release date. Exactly. Yeah, I was curious about when are we getting part two of this? They got to go back and renew a bunch of it. That's why. It takes six months in between the Transformer shows they've got. But I also understand that. I'm fine with that. Also, from the mailbag this week, since we're going to discuss this topic anyway, Jay has written in, and we've heard from Jay before, the Mouse House is going down uh, with ScarJo and The Rock filing lawsuits against all the money they stole from them. I can't wait to hear Stan defend them after this. Not sure what to say there. Other than I Stan defend them. <laughs> well, no, I... Look, Jay, we didn't hear from you when Denzel Washington and Gal Gadot, Patty Jenkins had the same problem with Warner Brothers that they're in ongoing behind-the-scenes negotiations for. This problem was going to come up. I actually went back and listened to the podcast we did where Denzel Washington was having a big problem with HBO Max releasing his movie first run without consulting them. This was Why, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Scarlett Whoa, Slow your roll. Disney. It's all the slow your roll. No, it's it's all not the same, the same thing. It most certainly is the same thing. Gabrielle. See, you see, see, you're trying to make this all about Warner Brothers. The question was not about Warner Brothers. It was about Disney. About Disney. And you're deflecting. Are you going to slow down and let me get there? As for the Disney stuff, both of them have points. If Bob Iger was still in charge, there would have never been a lawsuit filed. But Bob Chapek is currently in charge. Bob Chapek, to borrow a phrase from the from the movie The Godfather, Bob Chapek is a wartime consigliere. What that means is the whole reason Iger stepped away and tagged Bob Chapek to go into place as Disney CEO is because Chapek is the penny pitcher that you want in charge in what's going to be a very difficult time period. And we're in that difficult time period and will continue to be. Part and parcel of that is making exceptionally unpopular decisions. I don't agree with Chapek in this. I believe that the fair thing to do is to give ScarJo a decent percentage off the back end for the performance of The Black Widow for at least the first six months or for the first three months release 
that it's on Disney Plus to compensate for what she's missing on the back end has producer that her contract states she would have made in theaters because there was a second week major drop off when most people realized that they could sit at home and watch it on Disney Plus. The other end of that is thanks to what Bob Chapek has done so far, which has been equally unpopular, like cutting corners all around Disney World and Disneyland and the Disney parks and in certain aspects of entertainment, he's managed to bring back over 90% of the employees that were laid off due to the COVID situation earlier. And that is a resounding, outstanding rehire rate. And they're also creating new jobs. Now, how long that lasts, we don't know, because we're about to enter into another period here with COVID shutting everything down, or at least I believe we are. I mean, they're trying to charge like $10,000 a night for people to go cosplay as a poor farmer boy from outer space. Well, now that's not exactly true, is it? It's $6,000 for a family of four. Oh, my bad. that's not finalized yet. Well, I think what they're doing is the the numbers that they sent out there is more than what they're actually going to charge. So they can go ahead and get everyone complaining about the price of it. So, so they can be like, oh, well, actually, we decided based on market research or feedback from the consumer that we're actually just going to roll the price down to this. But really, that's what the, the yes, that's, charge start. that's, that's what they're going to charge to start with. So. I agree wholeheartedly. That's called floating a balloon. If you don't believe that the moment reservations become available for the Star Wars Starship Cruise, if you don't believe that the moment reservations become available for that, that it's going to fill up in the first 15 minutes for the next six months. Oh, I'm sure it will. I mean, I don't, I mean, I ain't doubting it's not. Then they'll price adjust or do whatever. They do this all the time. All of the companies do it. They float prices. They see what the feedback is. And then that's their market research. Just as it is now. They need to pay that white woman her money is what they need to do. Well, they also need to pay Denzel his and Gal Gadot hers and so on and so forth. Gabrielle Carteris from 90210 is currently the trade union leader for the the American Actor Guild Association, SAG. She represents over 100,000 actors, most everybody in Hollywood. She's the president of it. A few years before her, it was Carl Malden from the streets of San Francisco. He used to be president of it. But she came forward issuing a statement encouraging Disney and the other companies not to betray the trust of the talents that made these films and to make sure that they pay them equitably on the back end as the films go from the movie theaters to the streaming services. So that's what she believes. And I kind of stand with her on that. I think the fair thing here is to give Scar Joe, and by the way, The Rock has not filed a lawsuit yet, and he's probably not. That's probably going to be solved behind the scenes, just like ultimately the Scarlett Johansson thing is. This had to come to the light of day. I was just, it was going to come out with somebody. Because if you go back and you listen to our podcast when we first started talking about this with the release of uh, Denzel Washington's movie and Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max, they're promised a certain amount on the back end. All the actors are. Well, not all of them, but the majority of the main actors are. And especially when Scarlett Johansson has producer credits on Black Widow, that's a, that's a large amount on the back end that's supposed to be made at the movie theaters. What will ultimately happen is we'll hear shots fired back and forth and then they'll settle for an undisclosed amount behind the scenes going forward. Contracts will reflect the possibility of these things getting released on HBO Max and Disney Plus in the future. As for the mouse going down, the mouse has more liquid assets, more cash on hand than the United States of America currently does. 
they also have all that slave labor. What slave labor is that, Albert? Are we you just know, going to start them, shouting out things like ten thousand dollars again when all that's them, not you know all the people that they keep underground in them yes. tunnels? They got all over yes. Florida. All of them, mm-hmm. the ones that eagerly came back when they got hired back two months ago. They got all them. Upa, they got all them Oopa Loopas from Wonka all mm. them years back. Yeah. I feel like you're trying to do a little bit of what aboutism between Warner Brothers and Disney. If you want to bring up Warner Brothers and their conduct toward the director of Wonder Woman and Denzel Washington, why in God's name did Disney do the exact same thing when they could see the writing on the wall six months ago? Bob I mean, it wasn't like Denzel and that woman, Patty Jenkins, was talking about this exact same problem. And then to make it worse, there's already been articles about how their response to Scarlett Johansson was definitely a gender biased thing. And that that kind of response would never have gone over with someone like The Rock. Or, I mean, they would never have done that if it had been a guy complaining about um, about getting screwed over. I don't expect everybody to follow Disney like I do. I'm telling you right now, I can see Bob Chapek responding in the exact same way to The Rock as Scarlett Johansson. This is not Iger's administration responding. This is not their turnaround on it. We've for for almost 20 years, for 15 years, over 15 years, Disney has had Bob Iger at the top of it. And Bob Iger's number one priority was keep the talent happy and keep the people entertained. No, that's, that's not, not Bob Chapek's number one priority. Bob Chapek Bob, believes... Bob Iger had to be dragged oh, to a, another salary dispute with Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it's... The salary dispute with Robert Downey Jr., completely separate creature from the salary dispute with Scarlett Johansson. Completely well, different creature. You just said that he wanted to keep the talent happy. And did and Robert Downey keep- did Robert Downey Jr. continue to sign on with them? He finished out his contract. He continued forward with them. The dispute he had over the pay, and this lasted all of about two months, the dispute Robert Downey Jr. had at the time was in further negotiations for his appearances in the contract, whether or not he was going to appear in Civil War and the Spider-Man Sony movie, as well as a couple of others. That worked out fine for him. That worked out fine all the way around. If Iger was in charge, we wouldn't be hearing about this. Bob Chapek is in charge. And Chapek, you're going to have to fight to get money out of Chapek, period. He's already curtailed some of the ongoing construction around the amusement parks. While he has been able to hire back 90% of the people that were affected by the COVID situation at the parks, he has curtailed the ones that he doesn't view as they're absolutely needing. For instance, there used to be a band that played at the Grand Floridian. And they played there for 30 years. They have not been brought back because they're not absolutely essential to keeping the parks functioning and so on and so forth. So it's a different situation. It's a different world. Chapek plays hardball. And now to lighten the blow of Chapek, they've got an individual, I think his name's Dan something. I forget his last name, but he's over Disney Parks and he is just as charming as they come. He walks around the parks. He introduces himself to people. He asks them questions, customers of the parks and all. He's the good cop. Chapek is the bad cop. Unfortunately, the good cop has no say whatsoever when it comes to the major financial situations. That all falls at Chapek's feet. I'm not a fan of Chapek, but I know why they've got him there. 
the same reason that all these other corporations are making similar changes outside of the entertainment industry. These are tough times that are continuing that they're going to have to find a way to get through. And while Disney and Warner Brothers and Universal are booming at the moment, we could turn the corner in the next week and have the same situation where everything has to shut down, where the movie productions, the entertainment productions, the theme parks, and all have to come to a grinding halt again. Oh, we're all going to die this time. Are we now? Yeah, we got to die for the economy, so all these billionaires can go get blowjobs on Mars from aliens. <laughs> I'm sorry. It sounds like your excuse, Stan, is that, yes, this guy is playing hardball, but he has to play hardball because... God knows they might have to shut down and then they wouldn't no. have any money. No, huh. I'm not making an excuse. I just said I don't I'm not a big fan of JPEG. I'm not. I understand there's a difference between not like not liking how he does his job and understanding why he's there to do it. Well, he's a hard ass. I understand that that you know First of all, it's a filthy rich corporation. I have no sympathy for them having to Oh my god, we have we have to suck in every dime while while we can, because we might have bad times ahead. This is everybody's life. This is real people's life, not corporations' lives. I don't understand why he thought he was going to get away with this when he's known since the beginning of the year that the talent wasn't going to stand for it. Thirdly, I don't understand why I, I disagree with you. I mean, that comment from Disney was biased. Let, let's just wait and see if they start bitching at The Rock about how he's not considerate. Well, the, and, there's uh, a there's the a way COVID you get situation. There's a way you get treated when you're number one to do something when you stand on the front line to do something, which Scarlett Johansson has done, and the way that the second, third, and fourth people are going to get treated because the precedent has already been set. And whatever they do, however they negotiate with Scarlett Johansson, that's going to follow that The Rock and anybody else that follows suits is going to be negotiated in the same way. Legally, they will have to. Now, whether or not there's a war of words back and forth, look, all they said about Scarlett Johansson is we hate that she's decided to come forward with COVID out there and everything else, because how many times did they push the Black Widow back? And you're putting me in a position of having to defend somebody who I don't agree with to begin with. But what well, I'm no, trying to get across you here. Don't, you don't have to defend him. You could just condemn him for being an idiot and Disney making a mistake. But they he's, should, not, a, I think he's that, not an I, idiot. I think the best way to fix this is just to break Disney up. Yeah, that ain't happening. He's not. Yeah. A, he's an idiot if he can't handle us, this situation. Currently, in a he less is handling in, this situation. Inflammatory toss, manner. Let me toss a possibility at you which is something that I've not seen anybody on YouTube or on any of the fan channels screaming at, but certainly occurs to me as a possibility. And I talked to our attorney friend. She said, hey, that's definitely one way they could be going. Is it at all possible that he's goading Scarlett Johansson into the lawsuit so that insurance will take over and pay the difference? This has happened before with different movie studios under completely different circumstances where talent was not being paid it on the back end. And the studios have forced them into a lawsuit in order for their insurance to settle with them. I'm just tossing that out there. He's not an idiot. He wouldn't be where he is if an idiot. I don't agree with him. I don't think he's being fair about this. But also, I have not got his business acumen. If I did... Kingdom would have swallowed up everybody else in the area and uh, be the only thing sitting on the block. Unfortunately, it was Scarlett Johansson to come forward instead of The Rock. So we can theorize all we want on what they would have said to The Rock if he had come forward first. 
And again, that's just rumor. There is nothing out there saying that The Rock is going to file a lawsuit. But it was Scarlett Johansson that came forward first, and she's got, hell, she's got the full power of SAG behind her. She's going to get her money. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about this. My question, and we'll never know the answer to it, because like I said, it'll be solved behind closed doors. Is it coming out of Disney's coffers, or is it coming out of their insurance? And I'm thinking it's going to be the latter. All it has to do is make it to a courtroom, and then the attorneys go behind closed doors and say, okay, here, how about this number? Well, I think it would depend on... As far as the insurance go, what if if Scarlett if they have to pay Scarlett Johansson money after going to, to a court of how they have to do it? Well, that's it. And Disney's got more attorneys than they know what to do with. They've got more insurance policies. They've got insurance policies covering everything. This would be a loss against a movie that they can show has a loss, even though it doesn't have a loss. Technically, Return of the Jedi has never made any money. Neither has Forrest Gump. Yeah, technically, Forrest Gump has never made any money. The previous lawsuits that I'm basing insurance stepping in on are based on those assertions that movies like Forrest Gump and Return of the Jedi, which promised producers and some of the talent on the back end, some money on the back end at the theater performance, well, they don't have to pay it because they can show on the books where they never made any money. This is a different lawsuit. This is, hey, look, you didn't give this. You sabotaged this by putting it on Disney+. Plus. They've postponed this movie for, what, a year? Year and a half now? No, it was longer. Yeah, maybe a year and a half. It was way longer than a year. Yeah. I mean, they gave every opportunity. Chapek did not want this movie to go to Disney+. Plus. He wanted the theaters fully opened. Lo and behold, that was not to be. The movies that they did want going to Disney+, Plus, or that they were okay with, was Cruella and Move Jungle on. Cruise. Move on. Move on. Yeah, you're right. So they greenlit those to go right to the Disney Plus exclusive $30 deal. So they're, again, they're female-led films or Asian films. And they just screwed him over and nobody spoke up. Well, not necessarily. The actress on Mulan was not necessarily promised anything on the back end. Neither was the directors. Those were in-house talents that took over Mulan. What they did was sign contracts with them to proffer them further deals and further directing opportunities or producing opportunities within Disney. The Black Widow, that comes from the Marvel section. And that's why Feige's up in arms about it, because... promised a little on the back end, too. So I think this is a way they're going to get around. They're going to be able to pay her without paying her. I think that's why they want it to go to court. Otherwise, it wouldn't have become so public. Scarlett Johansson's current net worth is estimated at $165 million and growing, probably over $170 what it million. What her net worth oh Because I'm saying something. Why are y'all accusatory of me by giving out her net worth? Because it's like... You're trying to wealth shame her. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear God. The person who says that all millionaires can upchuck and die every episode is jumping my case because I'm not allowed to finish a sentence. So, what what are you trying to say? I was about uh, to say Scarlett Johansson's net worth is currently at 165 million probably right now over 170 million she's worth every penny that they promised to pay her front end and back end she's one of the if not the most powerful actress currently in hollywood from my point of view it would behoove them to have already settled this and the only reason i can see 
that they would not automatically or they would not go out of their way to try to make her happy is in order to get the insurance to pay it. That was the whole point. I wasn't going to, you know, she's 170 million, so I don't see what she's complaining. She did a lot of hard work on that movie. She deserves it. I wouldn't say actors do hard work. Well, I don't understand how much she's worth has anything to do with how hard she worked. The 160, um, the reason I quoted her net worth is because that's her power level. That is where she is so far as Hollywood has a business is concerned. She is up there. My She's net worth the, is $35. And dropping. Rapidly, <laughs> rapidly. So when you talk in terms of Hollywood and business, these situations where are they getting paid on the back end? Are they not getting paid on the back end? How much are they making? Net worth means everything. Robert Downey Jr.'s net worth is somewhere in the area of $500 million. I don't, So when I, you compare hers to his, she is a powerful individual. And that's what it matters. I know that we don't like putting price tags on people, but when you're talking about business, that's her level of power. The most powerful person in, I don't want to say Hollywood, but in all of entertainment is easily Oprah Winfrey. Because she's worth over a billion. That doesn't have anything to do with the way Disney is treating her and the way they try to. to No, it doesn't, Stan. If she's so powerful, powerful, then Disney wouldn't have come out with this, this crap about She's callous and disregarding about the coronavirus. They no, want I just her. They want her it. in a court of law so they can write it off on insurance. Well, I'm you telling can get you, her in a court of law without being making a, a, a gender assault on her. She that how is saying that she's callous over COVID making a gender assault? At no time did they say this woman is callous, or because of her sex, or because of her gender, she's callous. We can hypothesize all day long that they would have treated The Rock differently, or any male differently, but because it wasn't a male that broached the subject first, we're not going to know. I'm telling you, based on what I've watched about Chapek, he doesn't give a damn. You can't automatically assume that they would have treated anybody else differently. Well, I'm, because you know, we you're the one that's bringing, bringing in uh, Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers didn't do that. They didn't go out and Warner say, Brothers well, Denzel, Denzel and Patty Jenkins are have a distressing, callous disregard for the horrific no. and prolonged global effects of COVID-19. No, that's exactly that right. Excuse. That's exactly right. Tell me who's running Warner Brothers at the moment. I don't know. Exactly. Warner Brothers would be lucky to know at the moment. But what happened is, is they caught them up in arbitration behind closed doors. They didn't respond to it publicly. Well, that's I'm going to say this very straightforward. Warner Brothers, and I'm looking forward to Discovery taking them over, loved the Suicide Squad by James Gunn. And Warner Brothers was already bleeding. So it behooves them not to cause themselves further injury. The injury that Chapek has probably caused Disney by saying that about Scarlett Johansson is absolutely nothing. This will bounce right off. Come over oh here. Let's God, go behind closed Dan, doors. I can't believe you are. You're, you're. I'm not justifying a damn thing. I'm telling you straightforward. My money says they're trying to get the insurance to pay it. Is it right? No, it's not the way I would do business. It's not what I consider right or fair. But also, at the same time, nobody's going to make me head of Disney. And the guy that was sitting his head of Disney stepped down and tagged this guy as the next one up and put him in front of the board and let them approve him because he is 
the guy you need to get through what is potentially very destitute times coming. Oh, geez. Do you not believe that? Do you think that everything's going to con- continue functioning like it is with the toll in Florida rising and Disney the toll in Alabama is, rising? You know, I just have zero sympathy for Disney maybe not having a gazillion dollars in profit this year because 600 million people died. A lot of people are out of a job. And, and that's all That's all Disney. And that's supposed to be. And I'm supposed and to Disney be Disney is the one that started the COVID virus. I'm saying it's, they, you know, they you do a lot want, of business with China. Like they I'm may have. Saying, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just saying that using COVID as an excuse for Disney to be gouging the people that are working for them and saying, oh, well, we ha- they have to do this because they might be a little less profitable next year. Is But you see, you think all that profit goes into one person's pockets. I don't like JPEG. I haven't liked JPEG the moment he was named. I'm not a JPEG fan. But Disney employs somewhere in the area of 203,000 people worldwide. They have to keep those employees in place and going with a pay plan. When the initial COVID thing shut down, Bob Iger and several of the execs at Disney went without their bonuses in order to keep the paychecks flowing, even while people weren't uh, working inside the amusement parks and all. No, they're not altruistic. They're a company. They're a corporation, as I've said many times, just like any other corporation, and they want money. Money is the bottom line here. I don't know how to get that across that I understand money's not important to me and you and Albert, (laughs) but the rest of the world, the high level of these corporations and these people, these millionaires function at money is everything. So when you don't get a certain percentage of something, yes, you're going to file a lawsuit against the said people that kept you or promised you that certain percentage. That company is going to do what it can within that lawsuit to defend itself against having to pay you out. And if they happen to have insurance that'll cover it, all the better. But the reason you're hearing about this so much is because it is Disney. You didn't hear anything about the Denzel Washington and the Gal Gadot. Because they had G- enough sense not to come out and try to cast her uh, as also, like this greedy, blood Also because woman. the ones that keep pushing the narrative are people that you go after who's on top. Disney's on top. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill both of y'all. I'm saying that point blank. Yeah, I agree. I think they should pay Scarlett Johansson whatever percentage she was promised from the theater. Take that from the Disney Plus earnings for the first three months. I think after six months, Black Widow becomes a regular feature on Disney Plus. That's the same for all their premiere access. Well, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, there's. You're looking for an angle there, and there's not one. All I've done is completely agree with you. Well, uh, so, no, Stan, you haven't completely agreed with me, but that's well, all right. Well, of course not, because you want it to be worse. And I'm simply saying what is. You can't do anything without saying gender or you're doing that because I am this or I'm that. You're taking advantage of me because of my gender, religion, politics, etc. And that's not always the case. What I'm saying is we will never know if that was a man in Scarlett Johansson's place, if the same thing would have been said or if it was something different. I'm saying that if I had money to put on it, knowing Bob Chapek, the exact same thing would have been said. The man is a shark. But also, having said all that, having stated my dislike for him and everything else, if I had a multi-billion dollar corporation, I'd want him running it. I we talk about something, man. This has been going on for like 45 minutes. Well, see, I certainly out. wouldn't want me running the corporation because if Scarlett Johansson walked in and said, you owe me money, I'd take out the checkbook and say, how much? 
Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it. You don't want a bleeding heart running a multi-million dollar corporation in problematic times. If you're a stockholder in the corporation, which I am. I don't believe in stocks. I think stocks are a lie, just like Bitcoin. It's just based entirely on belief. <laughs> yeah, no, the whole system, money, the money that you have in your wallet, all that's based on is the belief that $1 is actually worth $1. No, no, that money's God. It says it on it. They print it on it. Well, they didn't used to. That They do now because we're yeah. just, we ain't lying about it no more. The whole economic situation is just your belief that a quarter is a quarter and not more nor less. And once that belief is broken, is shattered beyond repair, well, that's when everything collapses. It's all belief system. We're not based on the gold standard anymore. We're not based on any standard. We're based on the belief that a dollar is worth a dollar. Jay, I hope you enjoyed getting Sandra and Albert to yell at me while I was telling them that I agree with them the entire time. Sam, that's not what you said. So just go on. It's absolutely what I said. No, it's not. It's absolutely what I said. All I did was I dared to offer a perspective from the corporation. Okay, what's what's the next email? Are any of you reading the High Republic books no. from Star Wars? <laughs> is it worth my time and money? No, I I mean, I'm not problem. going to read them, and I'm not oh, going wait, to suggest this is a letter. people read them. This is yes. a letter. Let him finish reading the letter. I know. I just, I just answered. I just answered that letter, and it did not take me an hour to do it. <laughs> Alan says, "I know Stan probably is." Yes, I'm reading the books. Yes, I'm reading the comic books. Is it worth it? I think they're interesting. I think they're an interesting aside. I don't see anything coming from it other than the books and the comic books. I like some of the characters been introduced, and there's some places that it could be worked on better. But yeah, I would recommend some of the novels if you're reading Star Wars novels anyway. If you're Sandra, you how, are in no way. How woke is it? What do you mean woke? They're like super woke. Look, you see, this was part of the problem with the Masters of the Universe. I watched it blind and didn't see any wokeness in it necessarily. You didn't other watch it. I watched the you whole thing. I watched it. I watched it twice, as a matter of fact. You didn't even know know what the deal with her haircut was. What Albert is asking on the Albert scale of wokeness, God. It's no more woke than men running around in dresses on the Enterprise D in the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. And they got they got rid of that too. I'm not noticing anything like that. They're aliens for the most part. <laughs> I don't have enough understanding of alien biology or politics to declare when something is being woke in the Star Wars. Oh, universe. no, I remember High Republic. The female character had one of them woke-ass haircuts. Oh, dear God. Are we going on about the haircuts again? Well, she did. I thought you didn't want to talk about Masters of the Universe. After five hours of talking about Disney and ScarJo. Well, hell, I didn't intend for it to go that long. I, at any point, y'all could have said, oh, I get it, Stan. You're with us on this and stop agging me on. Or, <laughs> or you could have actually been with us on it. Or you could have just blamed the Bulgarians. I, I think it's interesting it. how suddenly Albert gives a damn about millionaires. <laughs> See, I care about millionaires when they're trying to get their fair share from the billionaires that owe them money. <laughs> Well, good news. Bob Chapek is only a millionaire, not a billionaire. (laughs) That's because he's hiding his money, Uh, like all them dudes do. Okay, Sandra, you sometimes go to a library. (laughs) 
Sometimes. Are you seeing, I know you're not reading the High Republic books, but do you notice them being checked out or asked for? Not at my library, but the Star Wars books as a whole tend to, to do well. There's nothing you can say about High Republic one way or the mm-hmm. other. Okay, that's what I was going for. Alan, I hope that answers your question. Unfortunately, I am the only one that reads the Star Wars novels out of three of us. But Albert, you're reading the comics too, aren't you? No. No. I seem to recall you giving a review on a couple of the comics. Yeah, like, Were you just making issue? it up as you went along? Are you talking about the High Republic? Yes. Yeah, I read like two issues of it. I like the comic books and I like the novels. The novels are not first run on my list, but they're certainly not bad. And like I said, I don't regret spending the money on them. So if you're entertained by that, yeah, look into them. The High Republic was like a, is like if Netflix got a hold of Star Wars and let Kevin Smith write it. There's no Kevin Smithiness in this. I'm I'm off of Kevin Smith for a while. The final question is, what is each of your single favorite comic books being published right now and why? And that's from DeMarcus. <laughs> mm, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> well, you see, I thought it was a nice, sweet question at the end of Maybe Batman. Really? Yeah, Batman's the only is the only American comic book that actually understands what manga is and that they're going to have to actually compete with it and try to get that audience and is actually making an effort to do it. How much of that do you attribute to Tanyan? I mean, it's, it's split between the writer and the artist. Well, you know he's off of Batman now. Yeah, yeah, I know. What? Yeah, what did Tanyan, that happen? He got offered a deal where he gets to keep all the rights to all of his creator-owned stuff. And I got to tell you, if I was him, I'd jump on it too because he's churning out some top-notch creator-owned stuff. I'm sorry. What do you mean got offered a deal where he gets to keep all his creator-owned stuff? You make your own deals on your creator-owned stuff. He's offered to share in... He got offered the same deal as uh, Spencer to own everything he does independently. He's it's called I'm Substack. More, I'm, oh, there you go. It's Hickman, Snyder, and Tinian. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get one of these independent things with creators like once a year, and it's all the same. I'm a big fan of Tinian. I think his stuff, I think a lot of his stuff should go ahead and go right to being optioned for Netflix. Okay, so you think it's Batman. Your favorite is Batman. Probably. All right, Sandra? Oh, Lord, there's a lot of Drek out there. Yeah, they put out way too many X-Men books. It's not any one comic for Sandra. It's more Disney's press releases. (laughs) No, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, it's Disney's complete campaign to sabotage my favorite superhero. Oh, my God, Sandra, just answered the question. It's got to be a current comic book, one that's going on right now. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think what comic book that is going on right now. Can I just not wait to read? Cavewoman. No. You don't really read Cavewoman. Zombie Tramp. No. Oh. Vampire Whores from Uranus. <laughs> no, I probably would actually like to read that one. Okay, I guess I'm going to go with Once in Future. Very good choice. That was on my short list as well, Demarcus, Once in Future. So definitely check that out. But I'm going with a different one since Sandra picked that one. You emphasized in your email being published now. I love a lot of stuff. Most of the X-Books, I love most of the Star Wars stuff. But the one comic that I'm most anxious for the next issue on is one we just discovered and didn't even know was out there. And it's by Tenyon. Nice House by the Lake. It's got a Twilight Zone slash Black Mirror feel to it. I just really like it. And, and that's a DC Black Label. 
Let's talk about comics that have come out from the past couple of weeks here. Skybound X by Robert Kirkman and various other writers and artists from Image Comics. We've been remiss on this. I think we're up to the third or fourth issue on it. And I got to tell you, the only reason I'm reading it is because Kirkman takes the idea of The Walking Dead. How do you put this, Albert? It was a dream that Rick had in yeah. one of the issues because Kirkman said if they got up to a certain issue thing, they'd be like, we'll do Walking Dead in Space. Then when the book made it that far into the run, he just sort of did that as like a dream sequence thing. There are space aliens. It looks like every bad image comic ever. I can't stop reading it. It's like four pages per issue of Skybound X, but it's damned funny and massively entertaining. I don't know. I didn't care. I didn't care for this issue. You don't at all care for the Walking Dead in Space thing that Kirkman's doing? Nope. Sandra, did you look at it? You don't, you, you didn't read no. Walking Dead to begin with, no. did you? I watched the show, but I haven't read any of the comics. God, they're finally ending the show. You talk about Walking Dead. That show has been Walking Dead for the last, what, seven years? Are the spinoffs done? They haven't said anything about Fear the Walking Dead. Maybe not. That poor show. Well, I think you should at least take a look at Skybound X. In addition to Kirkman's goofy version of The Walking Dead, you've got a couple of other short stories in there, and I found mildly entertaining. So I'm going to say browse Skybound X. Damn. I'm going to say shelve it. I was about to say, shelve you're it? telling me I need to watch He-Man, Masters of the Universe, so no, I'm not going to listen to you about that. <laughs> I'm telling you to watch Masters of the Universe because we need a female perspective on this. Me and Albert going back and forth over whether or not Tila has a lesbian haircut. Is, is... The only thing we need Sandra to do is to look at Tila, and, and that's all she That's all we need. And, and, and she did, so that's, that's it. Moving right along. Yes. Superman and the Authority from DC Comics by Grant Morrison with art by Mikkel Jenin. Oh, did that come um, out? Yeah. Yeah, that came out. Oh, First did issue. That have, did, did it have Apollo and Midnighter? No. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. This well, is not, not as advertised. In, this is not an in-continuity book yet, I guess, if it's going to be. Yeah. It's. It takes place in an era where Superman has been around for decades. At one point, he's having conversations with Kennedy, and it goes up to more modern times where he's sort of an older person. starting to lose his power, so he goes after Manchester Black to help him. Then we'll get to the authority in the next issue, I suppose. Yeah, I got a lot of questions about this book. I love Grant Morrison. I'm usually a Grant Morrison sycophant, but on this one, we need explanations in the first three issues on a couple of things. Well, it's only just a few issues long. Oh, really? I thought it was at least 12. No. Okay. Let me, let me look here. I don't I didn't think it was. A, I thought it was just a few issues. One of four. One of four. Dear God, we need explanations yeah. quick on this. It's Morse, and I'm assuming we're getting something. Yeah, I, I have faith one, enough. This one doesn't even read like a more. No, it's it a, doesn't. I mean, it's a fairly straightforward comic. Well, you see, that's part of it. It didn't really didn't feel like Grant to me. Yeah, uh, but it's, the, the it's, art's nice. Yeah. I'm going to say browse this one right now. I say uh, pull it. Also from DC Comics, Superman Red and Blue number five. Uh, G. Willow Wilson, Judd Winnick, and Joshua Williamson are the writers on this. Every story in here is great. I know we've reviewed Superman Red and Blue before, but I'm in love with issue number five. If you're a Superman fan, didn't like the previous issues of Red and Blue for whatever reason, do yourself a favor. Do pick up a copy of number five. I really very much liked it. I say this is a pull. Every every little story in here was, was very well done. Yeah, and Judd Winnick, out of obscurity, out of comic book obscurity, and back in the game, apparently. His crypto story was very well done yeah. in it. G. Willow Wilson just outdid herself. Joshua Williamson, 
I really do appreciate his stuff, the work he's doing mm-hmm. on that. Superman Red and Blue, number five, can't recommend it enough. And the book that I made Sandra read <laughs> from Image Comics, Mom, Mother of Madness, by actor Amelia Clark. Who uh, was Kira from, Kira from Solo and Daenerys from Game of Thrones, co-written by Marguerite Bennett, who has done A-Force, Angela, some Batgirl issues, uh, Secret Wars, Days of Future Past, art by Layla Lies. Sandra, what did you think of this? It was better than I thought it was going to be. Plus <laughs> silence. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell me why. This turned oh, into some terrible. mess. Yeah, this, I, who's I just, this book. Who's this book for? Uh, Women. Is it? Yeah. Okay, what are we missing? And Colin said earlier, it's a little bit over the top, but I think yeah. everything that she said, everything that Amelia Clark and Marguerite Bennett have this character say is stuff that women have heard or gone through. So I think if they took all of it and piled it on, I don't think women hear that 24-7 like it's portrayed in the book, but yeah. there's going to be something in there that's said that women go, yeah, you know what? I've been in that situation or I've heard that said to me or... Yeah, that's happened to me. I just well, think, so have I, but I've never went and made a lame comic book out of it. If you were playing the mother of dragons and Han Solo's girlfriend, then you know you could if you wanted to. It's um, nobody's business who's accosted me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Albert the, is the most woke person in Alabama. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most woke person out of the podcast, Sandra. Yeah. You're right. second. No, 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 no. I think and, he said Alabama. <laughs> If the main character didn't look so much like Amelia Clark, it felt a little bit self-serving. Mm-hmm. There has to be a better presentation to get those points across. Were you at all entertained by it? I'm trying to remember it now. <laughs> it's been a while since you told me to read it, it. It gets really whacked out. Well, there's like one page and it's just being like, I like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Martha Stewart. And- These are easy names to pull out and slap down to get the point across. That seems forced in a couple of places to me. The whole book is forced. I, I was mean, about to say, it's, it's, most, it's most, over the top. Yeah, Sam. most most self-insert comic books are usually forced. It's okay if you're writing aspects of yourself into characters. For instance, the portrait of Dorian Gray. That was the id, ego, and super ego of Oscar Wilde. And he did that brilliantly and played it off. But he also knew when to pull back in that novel. It wasn't a complete insert of himself. Oh, my God. Um, Stan, uh... Ron Mars writing Kyle Rayner is a complete insert of self. I was about to say, if you're expecting comic book writers to be of the quality of Oscar (laughs) Wilde, seriously, Stan, why are you expecting either Amelia Clark or Marguerite Bennett to be of the quality of Oscar Wilde? Damn. I mean, why don't you just rail on this artist for not being Leonardo da Vinci? I mean, (laughs) well, when you put it like that, Sandra, you make my point sound stupid. (laughs) Well, it's not stupid, but I'm just saying, let's let's try to. That was the first thing that popped in my mind about a writer inserting themselves. 
into stick something. to the comics. I'm, let's go with Ron Mars and, and Green Lantern or whatever. Well, that's what I'm right. saying. But, but Ron okay. Mars' as Green Lantern is as bad as what Amelia Clark's doing in this comic. It's not like Amelia Clark is writing the Star Wars comic that has Kira in it at the moment. It, Ron Mars was writing himself as Kyle Rayner, and that's why you don't see Kyle Rayner a whole hell of a lot anymore. Oh, Just Rayner. Yes, you're that, right. It's over the, the top. Yeah, it's definitely standing out there with 14 flags yelling, feminist comic. Were you entertained by it? I was surprisingly entertained by it. I did feel like it was over the top. I felt like you are taking a nuclear bomb and beating me to death with the point. But I also felt, okay, Lord have mercy. I don't like, think at, that, at that beginning part where a lot of the guys in there were portrayed horribly, but then again, I felt that, okay, I've never been to a party like that, but I can imagine that maybe a generation behind me, they have been to a party like that where people just said that crap out loud. You've never been to a party like that, but thank God for this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember Terry Long and Donna Troy? Oh, my God. Wasn't that just Wolfman just put himself in a book the, so he could bang Donna Troy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what? These, yeah. You don't know about that? Look up the character uh, Terry Long and look up a picture of Marv Wolfman. But you need to enter Donna Troy right after Terry Long. That was weird. That's a serious case of editors asleep on the job. He wrote himself right into that. I ended up thinking a lot less of Wolfman after that, and I liked Wolfman. Sandra, I don't feel like the comic is open to the general public. Yeah, I'm not saying she needed to appeal to me, but she needed to give me an opening to want to read the next one. Since you're saying that this is a communist uh, shit, since you're saying <laughs> communist. <laughs> that turns out you both may be more woke than me. <laughs> <laughs> if you have heavy feminist, since you said that this is a diehard feminist point of view, then that's the crowd for it. I'm going to say browse it. Otherwise, if you're a guy, you're not going to find anything in this. I know there's some guys out there that are saying, no, 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 I'm a feminist and I'm going to prove you wrong. And you you would be lying. But go ahead, lie. That's your most Most male feminists are just trying to get laid. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm which so glad why, I'm, I'm here why, with the boy, crowd. Which is, why I, <laughs> woke, which is why I don't call myself a feminist. No, you just call yourself woke. <laughs> That's a coincidence. I don't call you a feminist either. <laughs> so it's working, Albert. Browse it if you're a woman. Otherwise, it's a shelve it for me. Sandra? Amelia Clark is in the Hollywood business. She has probably actually heard a lot of this crap. I'm attracted <laughs> to her fat arms. Okay. <laughs> I have no doubt that uh, there are horror stories. I thought her superpower was interesting. I thought it was interesting. There's a lot in here that I find probably aimed more toward a female audience. Maybe as they go on, it won't be the nonstop. More of a story will form it, from yeah. it, you think? Well, I mean, there's a story here, but it won't be the nonstop over the top as this issue was. 
Yeah, I don't even know who this person is at the end. There is a mystery here. There's stuff going on. You know what it kind of reminded me was Madman. I know people have raved on and on and on about Madman, but is it Madman? Mad Men. Yeah. Mad Men. Yeah, okay. Mad Men. Right. Okay. So I tried to watch that first episode. I watched the first episode and I just could not. Maybe I have to have a different frame of mind. I don't know. But I just could not take that. I just it was just. Sandra, you're so not alone in that. Parts of this remind me of that. It's over the top. But there was a time that it probably wasn't over the top. It's not what I want to read for entertainment. Let's okay. put it that way. All right. Are you saying shelve it or browse it? I think you should browse it and see if it's your cup of tea. That's what I okay. will say. All right. Yeah. All right. I and probably will not read another issue of this. Mad Men was just a seven season long Coca-Cola commercial. No, it okay. wasn't. It wasn't? <laughs> no. Yes, it uh, was. <laughs> Albert, what are you saying? Shelve it, pull it, browse it? I say burn it along with the shop that it's in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, Albert. Oh, God. <laughs> Stan was the one that made us read this, so. Well, I had to, because there was no getting around this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have just not read it. <laughs> Before we start, let's go ahead and set the standard for what classical author you <laughs> want us to compare this these comics too, so I'm not completely blindsided by. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> they have to be as good as Oscar Wilde. <laughs> well, I've often thought that Immortal Hulk had sort of a Clemens type feel going. On. <laughs> or I should say, Immortal Hulk has a Clemens twang going for it. <laughs> That, that that was funny, too. <laughs> Never occurred to me that I was comparing Khaleesi <laughs> to Oscar Wilde. First time I mean, comic book writer Khaleesi has to meet the standards of Oscar Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't mean to do I was comparing work to work. I wasn't thinking that, you know, Khaleesi wrote this. <laughs> And Oscar Wilde wrote, well, you know. <laughs> so, okay. God, I hate that comic book. <laughs> <laughs> After having to listen to my assessment of it three times over, I hate it too. <laughs> you hated it before you even started that nonsense. <laughs> it wasn't nonsense. I was trying to salvage it. <laughs> I was trying to give what I thought was a adequate comparison and... Yeah, I just fucked that up. <laughs> One that we've overlooked. It's had two issues already. And thank you to Grant for pointing this out because, damn, The Nice House on the Lake issues number one and two are out by, of course, Jay Tenyon, the fourth. His last name is spelled Tanyan, but it's pronounced Tanyan, apparently. We love him to death, or I love him to death. I've, I've Really, he's the Batman writer. Nothing but good things to say about himself. And he also does, what's the other book we love from Image? There's a lot. Something is killing the children. He does Department of Truth. Is that him? Department yeah, Department of Truth. Of Truth. Yeah. 
Department of Truth. Love that book. But this is The Nice House on the Lake, and it's from DC Comics Black Label, and the art is by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This is a horror story. This is what a horror story should be. Thoroughly taken with the first two issues. Can't wait for the rest of it to see where he's going. Solid characterization. Nice setup. A fairly original take to the situation, at least so far. It's a very interesting book. The plot is these group of people, and some, I guess some knew each other and some didn't. They all know the same guy, and he invites them to this house on the lake. Then while they're at the house, end of the world happens, and he's somehow or another involved with it, and he's protected them. It's all this weirdness with the house. There's always stuff there and things like that. Several unusual aspects going on here at once. I mean, this is really engaging. Sandra, what do you think? Thank you, Sandra. To, yeah, I didn't get to read it as, as closely as I... Okay, I'll be honest. I skimmed it because there were two issues. <laughs> But what I skimmed was kind of creepy, especially with the reveal. Yeah. And oh my God, that cover for number two was really creepy. I'm just not really sure what's going on there. It's another one of those. I don't know. It's creepy. I think HBO Max has first rights to DC Comics properties so far as Warner Brothers has first rights to it so far as optioning it to stream or not. If the first two issues are anything to go by, somebody needs to sign Tenyon up right now on this because this is horror. This is what horror should be. Yeah, there's not a monster per se. There's not a clear-cut situation. It's circumstantial. And there's plenty of mystery here. Plenty of mystery. Well, so but there's I, also a lot of talking heads. There's not yeah, a lot of action yeah. here. There's just lots of talking heads. That's okay. But it, it works, yeah, but all that works together. Yeah. It, it's not the same talking heads that's in Mom. <laughs> Everything they say builds the plot point, Sorry, builds to was, character. There was a lot more action in Mom than, than is in this. Oh, so, yes, easily. Yeah. Easily. But it's creepy. It, it needs to be on your pull list. I know that the black label from D.C. cost a little more. This is worth it. The nice house on the lake. I don't know how this got past us. Thank you, Grant, for pointing it out. I'm saying pull it. Albert? It didn't. I've been reading it as it came out. Yeah, pull it. It's a great book. <laughs> well, la-ti-da. Thanks for sharing it with the rest of us. We were, we were too busy talking about X-Men Gala for, for, for too much straight. <laughs> I'm paying everybody back. We're not talking about any Marvel comics this episode. Oh, I'm talking God. about I'm talking about a Marvel comic. No, you're not. Oh, well. I certainly am. Oh. Sandra, the nice house on the lake. What's your what's your call? Pull it, shelve it, browse it. I'm gonna say she didn't read it. I did skim it. That's oh not reading it. I'm gonna say Sandra is going to shelve it. But Ooh. that's only a personal choice because this is not my cup of tea. You can't handle if, real horror, can you? I think if you like creepy horror and talking heads, if you like that, there's definitely a vibe overwhelming creepiness in this. So if you like that, then I would browse it or maybe buy it. But definitely mm -hmm. browse it and see if that's your cup of tea. I'm not doing it because not my cup of tea. But okay. that's just me. But I think it's you should browse it slash buy it if that's your cup of tea. And from Marvel Comics Moon Knight, issue number one, The Mission, writer Jed McKay, artist Alessandro Capuccio. First of all, Namor does not appear in this book at all. So y'all can just pass out in amazement there. I gave this a try because I did enjoy Jed McKay on his Taskmaster miniseries. I did too, yeah. He did a Thunderbolts tie-in to King and Black. So I enjoyed both of those. So I thought, well... All right, let me see what he's going to do with Moon Knight. So 
I can't say this grabbed me like Thunderbolts or Taskmaster. There's a lot of interesting things, I guess, going on, but I think he's trying to pull all of that stuff together. And the thing with Moon Knight is he's had so many different takes on him from his original take, which I enjoyed his original take. Doug Minich and I think Bill Sinkovich. Jed McKay is in this unfortunate position where he's trying to juggle all those and make them fit together into some coherent whole as opposed to the mess that the various writers, Bendis (coughs) and some other (laughs) writers, have made of this character. I'm sorry, it's not just Bendis. I mean, everybody that's touched this character has has jacked him up one way or the other. I think the last Moon Knight that I read that I enjoyed was that Charlie Houston, David Finch one. Gosh, almost 10, 15 years ago. That was about 12 years. Yeah, Yeah, that was a a good run. Yeah, that was a good run. But then everything else after that is just like kind of weird. So that's one thing is I just think Jed is just bitten off more than he can chew here. And the second thing is, my God, is why is his Moon Knight so pretentious and conceited? That just does not sound like Moon Knight to me either. He's claiming this is my territory and and I'm protecting all the travelers. And if you don't like it, then you have to face me. And I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. I just thought he was too pretentious. I'm going to have to say I'm disappointed in this. Uh, I liked it. It's fine. I didn't have any issues with it. I thought it was a pretty solid read. Uh, liked the writing. Art seemed to be okay. So I say, uh, I say pull it. But Moon right. Knight's been pretentious for years. Has he? Yeah. The, the books have been pretentious, but has he been pretentious? Yeah. Whenever they did that Warren Ellis stuff and the, around yeah. that time, that's when that he when wasn't they really did to it pretty heavily. Not as much during the Bendis run, but uh, the Bendis run was a foul up on multiple levels. The Lemire run with Greg Smallwood wasn't he wasn't pretentious. I think the last one we got. That was the follow-up to Ellis' stuff. Actually, I think Cullen Bunn finished off. Cullen Bunn actually did something, but he was kind of following in Ellis's, yeah, footsteps. But I think it was Jeff Lemire. Wasn't it yeah. Lemire? Lemire, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he wrote it for a little bit, I thought. Yeah, so we got- run that 12-issue run where it was very trippy and there was a pyramid in the middle of New York and I, you couldn't tell what was going on. Yeah. So both of you recommend it. It's a good number one to pick up. No, I, I didn't say that. I said I would no. browse. Oh, browse it. I'm yeah, sorry. I said I said pull it. She said browse it. Uh-huh. Okay, pull it and browse it. Image Comics, Geiger, number five. Written by Jeff Johns, drawn by Gary Frank. Story's moving along fine. He's, he runs across those people and helps them, and he gets them to like the last holdout of the U.S. government base. And they've got the football, so to speak. Which is the nuclear codes. Yeah. It's a great comic book. It's just moving along fine. It's nothing earth-shattering yet or big revealing. It's just a solid book. Gary Frank's talent seems to grow with each panel in this. Yeah, he's a pretty yeah. solid artist. The artwork in here is just spectacular. Gary Frank's outdoes himself. And Sandra, you'll be happy to know that Herman Melville's Moby Dick makes an appearance in this issue. <laughs> We're not going to be making any comparisons. <laughs> the story's still moving a little slow for me. The artwork more than makes up for it. I say it's a definite pull. Yeah, pull it. Yeah. Sandra, did you read it? I started it. 17 pages, just a bit too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> you have to well, you have to well, sit down, walk away from it, come back to it after all. Well the Moby Dick, you know, I had to sit down and think, oh, that's neat. Let me think about it. <laughs> you went out you went and got your compendium in case I made that's a comparison. Right. <laughs> so are you saying pull it or 
goodness, look, they have all kind of book references in this book. The Artist's Way. Mm. My God, Sandra. Well, I had started it. I had not finished it. I'm trying to finish it while we're talking about it. God. She's too busy searching for about five weeks to read this stuff. This just came out this week. What are you talking about? You could have read like the last four weeks of books over the course of y'all talking about Disney. I cut my toenails while y'all were doing that. You know how hard it is for a fat person to cut their toenails? <laughs> well, if everybody had just said, well, we're glad you agree with us, Stan, and we could have moved on. <laughs> no, because you would have found something to keep on rambling. You would have blamed something on Warner Brothers. And blame anything on Warner Brothers. I had to do the comparison to get to the Gabrielle situation because she's head of SAG. <laughs> and she mentions everybody. Anyway, next comic book. <laughs> Sandra, did you think people should pull Geiger or shelve it? <laughs> oh, yeah, they should pull Geiger. Okay, there we go. Moving right along. <laughs> Mortal Hulk, number 49. Okay, it turns out it's not going to end with 50. They've got a giant-sized Immortal Hulk situation coming up to tie up all ends. Right, oh, Albert? They do? Yes, they Isn't do. Isn't that issue 50? No, there's an issue 50 coming out, but they also have a giant-sized... Immortal Hulk to conclude to conclude I everything. Issue fifty was going to be the giant size Immortal Hulk. You know, I was pretty certain of this when I read it two hours ago. <laughs> I hate y'all. <laughs> but by all means, let's slam on the brakes again. Let me go to Google. <laughs> da, 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 da. This is not the original article I read. This is from Screen Rant. And apparently it says that uh, number 50 is the 80-page finale. Yes. I swear to God, I read somewhere else it was getting an 80-page, a separate 80-page finale. Let me check the date on this. July 15th. Well, anyway. (laughs) Yes. The giant size, the last issue, number 50 of Immortal Hulk. Is 80 pages. Pull out your extra dollars there because they're going to charge you probably 10 bucks for that issue. There you go. And I heard somebody complaining about it. Like you just bought 49 issues of this book at $4 a pop. And now you're going to complain about having to pay $10 for the last quote unquote two issues. Yeah. And one big I don't have any problem with that. Do you think he's going to stick the ending? I mean, does that look like it's going toward? Well, he's got 80 pages to do it in. So, yeah. I really liked issue number 49. We're talking Ewing is the writer. Joe Bennett is the artist on it. All this was was a narration by Miss McGee, the reporter. She follows through. She puts her street level point of view on the situation on on most of the Marvel Universe, as a matter of fact, as you go through it. I thought there was sort of a finality in this issue in and of itself. Beautiful artwork all the way through. Too bad he's going to get blacklisted after issue 50. Man, nobody even remembers what you're talking about now. Who's going to get blacklisted? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he gone. He gone at issue 50 because that came out and they shut their mouth and they kept putting the book out, but they they never really brought up Joe Bennett. I don't think he's going to get blacklisted. I think it's he gone. Uh, I think it's already memory hold. Nope, he's gone. It's a beautiful book all the way around, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. It is. This is, this is a definite pull it 
wonderful scenes, horrific scenes. Again, it gives a certain perspective on Hulk, the Fantastic Four, and the superheroes. But the thing that gets to me most, uh, the thing that gets to me most, the thing that gets to me most is the thing. Ewing needs to write a solo thing book. Put him on the Fantastic Four. Good Lord. Let's get Slot off of there and make that book readable again. Uh, yeah, did you... the stuff with the Fantastic Four and Hulk was really great. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Grimm coming out. All the superheroes, you know, Captain America trying to be reasonable. Thor hits Hulk with a hammer. And so it all breaks loose. And the thing walks out. Did they hurt you, pal? That, that's just touching. Uh, Ewing is masterful in this. So there's no way this is not a pullet. Well, if you've been here this long... You know, yeah. you've only got one more issue to go. You may as well suffer. I, I was so touched by the thing's interaction the, with Hulk. I say pull it. Sure, I say pull it. Yeah, pull it. I just hope that Richards' incompetence has not screwed this up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. He's an idiot. <laughs> he did shoot this, the Hulk off into space. <laughs> I mean, it's more than that. It's he like, didn't send him the space. He sent him to hell. They sent him to, well, in this issue, he sent him to hell, but back during the Illuminati, he shot him into space. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, for World War Hulk, but only with the best of intentions. Why is Sue still with him? Well, you know, in I every mean, universe, but this one, she leaves him for Namer, so. <laughs> <laughs> Massive. <laughs> Lord. We were having such a nice conversation. I mean, look at what that man can do to his body. Yes, but you how, have to know what any, you're doing. How could any normal human compete with that? You have to know what you're doing. It doesn't <laughs> matter the size. Come on, Albert. I miss when we were talking about Oscar Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> Issue number one, The Me You Love in the Dark, Image Comics by Scotty Young and Jorge Corona. Sandra, what do you think? I think that this was a giant waste of space. Basically, what happened in this issue could have been told in two pages. It's horribly decompressed. It could be an interesting concept, but they wasted just too much time setting up the concept, which didn't need that much time to set up the concept, which is very simple. I'm going to fully agree with what you said, that the whole issue takes one simple concept and runs it for 27 pages or however many pages, mm -hmm. but I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to say I'm contributing that to pacing and establishing character of both the house, the entity, and the main character in it. I didn't find it to be as much of a waste. Yes, he drug out one concept so he could have the last page delivery. I'm okay with that so long as he doesn't do that in issue number two, three, and four. Now that we're set up, let's get moving. So long as we do that in issues number two, three, and four, I'm okay with what he did in issue number one. I'm more willing to give issue number one the benefit of the doubt. So I like the artwork. The character dialogue is solid. You pretty much know where he's going halfway through the book, but it didn't bother me. But it did you? Yeah. What is the phrase? Horribly decompressed. I'm surprised he didn't spend an entire page showing the charcoal or the paintbrush sitting on a white canvas. Now, if he it's had done like, that, I would have been moved along. <laughs> yeah. If he had done that, I would have been pissed. But instead, what we get is her creating, her moving her hand with the pen in it and approaching the blank slate and drawing on it. I buy that. Now, basically, I'm looking forward to issue number two to see what they do in it. But if he does, if he pulls a similar stunt with issue number two, I'm out. So I'm going to say browse this. It's got a nice gothic feel. I do like Scotty Young's writing. I love the artwork in this. I'm sticking with it. 
but I'm only saying browse it, not pull it right. No, I'm not going to. I'm probably not going to waste my time on it. Okay, so you're saying shelf it. And that's The Me You Love in the Dark from Image Comics, issue number one. Dark Horse Comics, Lucky Devil, number one, written by Cullen Bunn, drawn by Fran Galan. It's basically a self-fulfilling fantasy here, a revenge fantasy running through it. The dialogue and the dynamic adds a little bit more to it than a simple revenge fantasy. You've actually got a little bit of a twist going on at the end of it, and it's a horrific thing to watch. The whole thing is reminiscent, especially the pages, the couple of pages that you get with his girlfriend as he leaves to go to work was very reminiscent of the first issue of Mark Miller's Wanted. The art is nice, matches up nicely with the overall storyline, demonic entities, entities throughout it. But again, overall, basically at the core of it, what you've got is a revenge fan to see that kind of shifts gears toward the last couple of pages. This was like the opposite of the Scotty me you love Young. in the dark. Yeah. yeah. The me you love in the dark in that it grabbed me from the beginning and it kept me interested. Lots of stuff happened. <laughs> he crammed in, I think quite a bit in there. I read most of, most of the Cullen Bunn books I've read have been in the Marvel universe and they've always been, they've been solid but not brilliant. Let's put it that way. He tells a good story in a very serviceable way. He's a go-to guy for Marvel. He's not really doing much for them anymore. I, I don't know what happened there, but I read some of his books in Marvel, but there was nothing that really blew me away. Of course, I didn't read his Venom. I think his Venom, a lot of people liked. Didn't he write Venom? Yeah. He was the one that did all the work with Venom and Flash Thompson, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. But I've had lots of people tell me that his independent stuff is so much better. I have to say that this book was so much better. I'm not sure why it grabbed me. Maybe it was the first person. This independent book, you know, it's not usually my cup of tea, but there was just something about the writing that really, really grabbed me and uh, I thought was very good. And I don't know about, a. I guess it is a revenge fantasy, but it wasn't like the main character planned on that. It was the demon took advantage, but in the end it twisted around where it might become more of a revenge fantasy. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about there, but anyway, I enjoyed it. I did too. The artwork's good in it. Wonderful dialogue, solid storytelling, all the way around. But the reason I said a revenge fantasy is I'm not necessarily thinking of the main character as much as I am the author. This is the core of this is a revenge situation yeah. on this individual's life who's grown incredibly stagnant in his day-to-day routine and more is just than, put upon by others. I was yeah. about to say more than stagnant. And I think that's maybe one reason I think everybody can relate to this character, even if you're not at the basement level that he apparently is. Everybody has had those days where it feels like life is really kicking you in the nuts through no fault of your own. I found the character very sympathetic um, and I'm kind of I was, like you said, surprised by the ending and I'm kind of want to see what's going to happen there. So I would pull this book. Yeah, me too. Pull the book. Now I'm curious to actually maybe go read more of Columban's independent work like Harrow County and The Sixth Gun. He's gotten a lot of... He has been very acclaimed. He's not doing anything for Marvel now, but his independent work has just exploded, I think. Yeah, this looks like a promising series. So it's mature. Keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, we both say pull Lucky Devil issue number one and subsequent issues. 
thank you all so very much. We greatly appreciate you. We love hearing from you. Continue to let us hear from you. Questions, comments, whatever. Let's give it to Sandra and Albert. Sandra, you got any closing thoughts? No, there's unfortunately no name or appearances on the horizon. And the fig pen money is all dried up, so we're not advertising them anymore, right? (laughs) I haven't got my fig pen yet. (laughs) Albert, any final thoughts? Nothing that won't be edited out, so... (laughs) Man, you get a lot of crap in. You could not listen to the last two episodes and not think, wow, he's getting away with a lot. Where's that <laughs> RoboCop reboot? Oh, I've got it. I'm I'm holding it for a special. I can put okay. it in anywhere, anytime. All so right. I can so I got no, your no, no, RoboCop. I got to say. Okay. All right. And I'm just going to say this. Look, be kind to each other out there. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I don't know what's happened to humanity in the last two years, but just go out of your way to be nice to other people, no matter what walk of life or what the situation is. Just like you hear me do with Albert and Sandra. Be tolerant and understanding. (laughs) When somebody shoots down your Oscar Wilde reference... Just go with the flow. (laughs) So anyway, we'll be back with you soon. Thank you all once again. Uh, We we greatly appreciate you. Tell them good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. And thank you, Stan, for making my week yet again. is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thank you to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Cornelius Burroughs, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Hatcher, Charles Hickey, Ali Marceau, Joseph Koloski, Katrina Olstead, and Angela Pickett. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2021. All rights reserved. I'm starting an Oscar Wilde podcast. I'd, I'd just be me and my hand in a sock puppet talking. <laughs> I I'm sorry, Stanley, but you are no Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Well, yeah, you're right. I, I I should have went for a better comparison. It's somewhere a little more. But that was, honest to God, the first thing that popped in my mind. I mean to grill you so much, but it's just like, seriously, Stan, this is probably the first thing this woman has ever written. She had to have a co-writer. You can't possibly expect well, Oscar Wilde quality from Amelia Clark. Well, Amelia Clark is no Oscar Wilde. Is Stan? Who is? <laughs> well, I didn't realize what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, I was going for I was going for something. I thought, oh, everybody's had to read the picture of Dorian Gray, and, and you know, so nope, I never read it. <laughs> <laughs>
I was about to say, actually, people probably don't know who Oscar Wilde is. <laughs> They're going to be wondering, why is Sandra grilling him about Oscar Wilde? Who's Oscar Wilde? <laughs> You're kidding, right? Sure, no. Sure. Albert, you know who Oscar Wilde is. I know of him, yeah. People don't realize okay. how how witty Oscar oh. Wilde is. If if you don't know of him, then yeah. Yeah, he's bloody brilliant. I mean, he he truly is genius. He, but uh, but that was the first analogy that came to my mind was he was writing id, ego, and superego in Portrait of Dorian Gray. And everybody portrays it as a morality play, but it's not really a morality play. It's Oscar Wilde stroking himself to the thought of Oscar Wilde. And and yeah, and Kyle Rayner, Kyle Rayner was blatantly Ron Mars. Well, anyway, I'm glad we could spend this yeah, time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next on Matt on Kingdom Cast Masterpiece Theater. 